Hello, and welcome to the Uneasy Terrain Explorers Club podcast, the place where curiosity is welcomed and no topic is too taboo to tread. I'm your host, Jonathan Doe, and today I'm sitting here over Skype with incredibly shiny Shart, the Redditor who received international attention for a post he made documenting that he and his friends had a dinner party where the main course was his own amputated foot. How are you doing today, sir? Just lovely. And yourself? <laughs> pretty good, pretty good. So I kind of want to start from the beginning. What happened that resulted in your leg needing to be amputated? Well, you know, it's about, God, it's almost five years ago now. Cruise on my motorcycle through the mountains and enjoying my Memorial Day. It's something that I really, truly loved back then. And uh, was on my way back into the town and some cars were... Uh, stopped on the opposite side of the road as a guy wanted to turn across into a fishing uh, area and I had a couple cars up ahead of me and so when I started getting close I was like okay he sees me because he, he said stop after all the, the cars went mm-hmm. and then uh, right when I got up to him he hit the gas and ran into the back of my motorcycle I fishtailed out and uh hit some dirt, flipped over the handlebars, and went into the woods. Did you lose consciousness at any point, or were you conscious the whole time? No, I was conscious the whole time. How long before before any kind of support came to help you? It was almost immediate. There was, because he was stopped in the road, there was about two or three cars behind him. There was people behind me. So people came down pretty immediately. How soon were you aware of your condition? Uh, so I got hit. Everything kind of went, not blurry, but when things were moving too fast because I was kind of cartwheeling through the air. And then I just landed with a thud, sat up, and took off my helmet, and there's just this burning from my foot. And I looked down, and I could see that my foot was attached, but it was kind of, it was still in the shoe, but it was under um, my leg, like pushed back up and under. Oh man. So I knew then that like that, that's not good. Um, so they took you to the hospital. How long was your hospital stay? About seven days. No, wait, nine days. Um, was it was it the decision by the doctors to amputate your leg, or or, what, or did you have kind of a choice in the matter, considering the condition of your foot? Well, I had a choice in the matter. Um, I kind of remember while I was first being brought in, them saying, we don't know if we're going to be able to keep the foot. And I kind of remember saying, well, try if you can. I'd like to keep it. And this is under a shit ton of drugs. That's on uh, Dilaudid, and I was on uh, ketamine. I remember bits and pieces of that whole experience. When I woke up, you know, I had kind of a foot-shaped appendage that was there. So they really had to convince me and show me a good reason why it should come off, because all the doctors were in in agreement that I should not keep it when you finally did make the decision to amputate your foot was from the get-go was your plan to keep it or did you decide that later on no i always wanted to keep it it's my foot <laughs> there's no way i'm not keeping it 
was it difficult for you to get the foot released from the hospital? Like, what was that whole process like? So after I had made the decision, I talked to the doctor and I said, look, I want to keep it. And he's like, well, what are you going to do with it? And at that point, I really, what I really wanted to do was have it as a doorstop somehow. So I wanted to have it taxidermied or uh, have it freeze dried because what a macabre thing to have in your house is a human foot doorstop. That to me <laughs> is just fun. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Um, so that's why I told the doctors. I said, look, it's mine. I want it back. What do we got to do to make this happen? And the doctor said, no one's ever asked me that before. So let me, let me ask around and see what we can do. And a day later, he brought me a form. It just said, you know, I released the hospital of all this, this, and this. And uh, this will go through pathology. So they're going through and making sure that it's not, it doesn't contain diseases or it's not rotten or anything like that that's going to harm anybody out in the public. So they're this big form of them covering their butts. And uh, then a couple of weeks after the operation, after I was home, I got it back. So your original intention was to get it freeze dried or have somehow turn it into a foot, uh, like a doorstop. How did that evolve into you considering to eat, eat a portion of it? Well, I had a friend over in the hospital. I was staying there and I don't remember this, but he does very well. And I was kind of just sitting there like, you know what? We should, we always joked about how to, if we ever got the chance, because we're like, oh, we like to eat all kinds of weird things. Try out the world, eat everything you can, at least just to try it. And so we had joked about, well, if you ever got the chance, would you, would you try a little people meat? If it's ethical, no one was harmed, you know, you know it's safe. Would you just try it just to say you tried it? And everybody's like, oh, yeah, we'll totally do that. And so later in the hospital bed, I, I told him, like, you know, we should do this. We should try to eat some of it because then, you know, we can all say we did it. It's something unique and you know, bring us all together. But then it's also it's not really gone. It'll always be a part of me and I'll always be a part of you. And it kind of started off that way. It wasn't a for sure thing. Um until I actually got it back. Cause I really wasn't sure whether that would happen or not. But then they called me and said, please come pick up your foot. So why did you ultimately decide to eat it instead of freeze dry it? Was the process too difficult? No, it's, it's fucking expensive, man. <laughs> it's going to be like at least $1,200 to freeze dry a foot. And then it's if the, if they would do it, but just it was cost prohibitive just at the, at the front of it. And then we talked to God, 12 taxidermists. And they either said, no, I'm not doing that. Or, you know, you're playing a joke on me. Stop it. No one would take it on. And I, okay, I don't, I, I understand why, but I mean, come on, man. How often are you going to get a chance to go taxidermy a human foot? Yeah. I mean, that'd be a, a good challenge to take on for someone trying to like expand their craft for sure. Right. It would have been cool. Um, so from, from what I've read, I did hear that you did get a cast of the foot. Is that true? I did. Yes. And it was terrible. <laughs> I never made a, a cast of anything in my life. And so we use like this artist molding clay. It's kind of like, a 
like a soupy silicone that you put onto it and eventually hardens. Mm -hmm. And then you pour plaster of Paris inside that. But I had the foot frozen because it was really kind of soft and like the, all the bones inside were garbage. They're just trash and little pieces. So we froze the foot and because it was so cold and moist, all that leaked into the mold and just, it looked terrible. It was just a bad, bad mold. So I have this, you know, kind of misshapen lump of a, of a cast made out of plaster of Paris. But <laughs> the experience was fun going and doing it with friends, you know, it's all like, oh, let's, let's all go hang out in my front yard and, you know, wash off my severed foot and make a cast of it. And it was a good morning. Was it kind of a bizarre feeling, like handling your foot and carrying it around and and all of that? Yeah, that's a that's a lot of existential weirdness, because when it's not attached to a person, it it doesn't seem like a foot. It seemed like a prop or something like that. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, I'm holding my own foot, and here's what we're gonna do with it. And it it was highly highly bizarre probably one of the in the top five weirdest things i've ever done <laughs> hopefully to keep it that way <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely um so you proposed while you were in the hospital to a couple of your friends the the concept of eating eating it how did that expand to to i think 10 people you said i i read went to your your feasting party that you had yes so I have a couple who I'm very close with, and they were already totally down. I have a woman who was in the hospital with me who's been my friend for more than 20 years. Um, so she came. And then I was at uh, a get-together after I got out of the hospital with some friends, and they didn't know anything about this. And so I was like, we're sitting there playing board games. I was like, hey, let me guys ask you guys a question. If I could theoretically get some meat off my leg, what do you guys think about, you know, eating it with me? And oddly enough, all these weird ass people were down. <laughs> and the woman who was hosting the get together said, oh my God, my boyfriend, he's a chef. He should totally be the one to cook it. So he's at work and she calls him right then. And so I'm like, listen, would you cook some of my friend? And he thought it was bullshitting, but, uh, you know, he was down for it. That's awesome. So, so how did you guys decide what dish you guys were going to prepare? I didn't. I left it up to him. Uh, mainly because I had no idea what to do. I didn't take a lot of meat off of it. I took like two or three inches off of the shin. And I was like, I don't know what to do with this, you know? So he said, okay, I'll take care of it. Don't worry. So he took it off my hands and uh, put it in some marinade overnight just to try to get the toughness out of it. And uh, then whipped up some really nice, like little little fajita tapas is kind of what it turned into. Were you there for like the whole cooking and preparation process? Yeah. So my friend, she has this really nice family house that's kind of out in the country and we all showed up and you know, he brought out the little uh, chunk of uh, meat that I cut off my shin. 
And so he's sitting there and he's like, da, 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 da. He put a little salt and pepper on it, a little bit of olive oil on the pan. He tosses it in there and browns it up a little bit, brings it back out and uh, starts sauteing some onions and peppers while he chops the meat up into a bunch of really little slivers and pieces, puts it back in the pan and tosses it in, some spices and whatnot. Then he had this whole, like, basically little fajitas that were nice and cooked down. He uh, whipped up a real nice little chimichurri sauce that he put on little tostadas and a little dipping sauce over the top of it, and then we were all set. Did it feel, like, bizarre watching a piece of you be cooked, or did it feel, like, disconnected enough that it just kind of looked like, like meat at that point? At that point, it was disconnected enough. Well, oddly enough, immediately, it was just meat. So I'm sitting there with my leg in my hand, and I'm, you know, surreptitiously trying to cut a chunk of meat off there. And the whole time thinking like, all right, you peaked. This is going to be, this, this has got to be the weirdest thing you've ever done, but we're doing it. Here is how we go. And I took that and I stuck it in the freezer. But at that point it was just me and there's no way, other way to look at it. When the dish was like completed and finished and presented to you, did it look appetizing? Did it smell good? It smelled delicious, man. <laughs> and then I mean, when you the, first took a bite, did uh, what was that? What was going through your head? Like, what was what was that whole sensation like? It, so you get wrapped up in the cultural things. Uh, like, this is one of the greatest taboos that you can go out and do. But I think it's it's centered around two things. One, the health aspect. You, people really don't want you to go out and eat people, especially if they're deceased or whatnot, because of disease. Mm-hmm. So I knew in my head that there's absolutely no disease here. I had every single test run on me in the hospital. I also knew that it was healthy because, uh, yeah, it didn't wasn't removed because of disease. It was removed because I got hit, hit by a car. So I knew the meat was sound. So there's that aspect to it. I also knew that you know we're basically doing the best we could with the tragedy. It's not like uh, the other aspect of cannibalism where people are getting killed in the need. It, this was kind of, uh, well, make the best of a bad situation sort of deal. And coming together with all the people who helped me go through this process uh, and having a, a fun little brunch was kind of nice to it. That being said, it was really damn tasty. <laughs> and then it's also really, really tough and stringing. Um, it, it, it was a lot of chewing. I think it's because it was off my shin and there's a lot of connective tissue there. And it's, it's not like, uh, not like a ribeye, man, you know, that it's a lot of muscle, but doesn't get used very often. Mm -hmm. This, that muscle was so damn tough and everybody just sat there for minutes just chewing this one single bite of my leg and <laughs> looking at each other. And while the flavor was good, the stringiness and the chewiness was uh, not that appetizing. How would you describe the taste? Could you compare it to any other kind of meat? I always describe it as real beefy, almost like bison. Um you know, everybody talks about like, oh, it's like pig. And like, well, yeah, but 
it's not like the pig you buy in the store that is, you know, mass produced, farm raised, and only one type of variety of pig. If I was going to say it was like pig, I would say it's like an a, a heritage pork. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a period of time where there was this local farm where they raised these heritage hogs, and so you put your your price down to uh, once the hog was born, you'd pay uh, you know, basically a food price for however much the season was, and then at the end you pay a butchering fee and take home all this meat. And this meat was this dark purple red, and it was beautiful and flavorful. It was something I never really had before, uh, considering pork. And I, I would say it's much more like that than any pork I've ever seen in a store. Yeah, yeah, I've I've heard about people eating like wild boar and things like that, and kind of describing it in the similar way that that you said. And so yeah, I, I wonder something if... along those lines. Very beefy, very bisony. I wonder if like that's where like the term "long pig" comes from, from like tr- from like tribes that eat human flesh, and comparing it to maybe something like that. I don't, I don't know. What was the reaction of uh, everyone else that was there? Was there anyone that chickened out, or anyone that got grossed out, or was everybody? Everybody game? else was in pretty good spirits. So um, no one got grossed out. No one spit um, spit it out, or anything like that. No one got grossed out. I had one friend. Uh, she, I think she got a big piece of tendon because bless her heart. She was just sitting there and chewing and chewing and chewing. And she said, I'm so sorry. I got to spit you out. I can't do this anymore. I'm choking on this damn thing. <laughs> and we all had a big laugh about that. There was a lot of jokes about my, you are tasty. And, uh, I bet this is the first time you've been inside 11 people at once and <laughs> things of that nature. Lots of good crude jokes. That's awesome. From that experience, like looking back on it now, do you feel like you and that group of people have really bonded over that or how did it impact your guys' relationship? Some of us are a lot closer. Some I haven't spoken to in some time. Um, I think it was a highly unique experience that we all shared. And then I moved away. I moved uh, down to Austin and kind of left the whole friend group behind, you know, to pursue other things. And I keep in touch with them as much as possible, but as it is, I moved away. So it's hard to hang out with everybody. Yeah. I mean, life happens, but I think that's a, it was a pretty cool, like reading about your story. It's like, that's like a really unique kind of like almost like intimate bonding experience with people. That That was cool that you were able to share that with everyone. I mean, it really was. You got to think about the unique experiences you can have with people and what you can take away from that and the people you want to invite to be special in your life. So, and that was a really nice, unique thing that we could all share together. How does it feel to now technically be considered a cannibal? Does that have any weight or any influence on how you see yourself as a person? None whatsoever outside of the internet. You know, the internet's a weird place. I'm glad I could contribute a story to it that is fitting of all that weirdness. It impacts my daily life in no way whatsoever, except for, you know, every once in a while, somebody I don't know, uh, I get to introduce them to a little story from time to time. But other than that, it makes no difference in my life whatsoever. Then every once in a while, pop up Reddit and see that somebody's talking about me and I can jump into the comments or something like that which 
in and of itself is a fun little thing to do every once in a while. <laughs> when you first went public with your story, it got a lot of attention like across the whole world. And how did that feel um, getting having having your story spread so wide and um, getting that recognition? Recognition is a weird, uh, maybe not the right word for it. I would say uh, it was more of a spectacle. People ran with it and they liked the, um, how weird it was and the taboo and all of that. So me, it was kind of fun getting this anonymous attention because I, I, in my day to life, I don't want people to be walking down the street and be going, Hey, there's a guy that ate his foot. I mean, I, I don't want that kind of fame, but this like anonymous internet fame. Yeah. That's just fine enough because every once in a while I could choose to step into something or I can come do a podcast, which is fun as hell. I did a radio interview in Ireland, which was fantastic. I love doing that kind of stuff. But seeing stuff now where there's a YouTube channel that's kind of like Unsolved Mysteries, mm-hmm. and they use stock footage, and they say, like, well, is this the real story? Is this the fake story? And they did my story on there. That was kind of bizarre because people are running with this. They took the story, and they go off and do all this stuff. I have no attachment to anything whatsoever. So every once in a while, like, I see stuff on the internet that was inspired by this and it's bizarre. It's absolutely bizarre to see some of my personal accounts taken and made into different videos. It's weird, man. Yeah, I, I bet. What would you do if they ever like made a movie or anything about your story? I don't know. I mean, I should have some sort of intellectual property rights. Like if people post stuff on the internet and stuff, yeah, that's fine. If somebody was going to go out there and make a ton of movie off my story, like, well, I think they should, like, at least pay me some damn money. Come on now. <laughs> yeah, I think some compensation would definitely be, be warranted there. <laughs> Looking back at the accident and and having that meal, how do you feel that that experience as a whole has influenced you as a human being? Well, I got to say, from where I was then to where I am now, I'm in a much better place. Um, the amount of personal growth that I attained by going through this was phenomenal. The levity and appreciation for life that I gained because I was in a place where I thought all my friends were just drinking buddies that the people in my life didn't really know me because I put on a face for everybody. I, I put on a persona. Because for the longest time, I was afraid to let people get to know me because I was afraid I pushed them all away. And so in going through this and all the people that showed up who really cared and me bringing down my garden for the first time, being truly vulnerable with people and saying that I still had their love and acceptance. And that was a real powerful thing. And then going there from there and saying that, well, all right, the foot comes off, let's get things done and let's go on with life. And knowing that I had that strength within myself to pick up and carry on and keep pushing forward 
well, that pushed me into other things where I was in a job where I was kind of stuck and I didn't know what to do about it. I was really just kind of treading water and not knowing how to go forward and not enjoying what I was doing at the time. And then turning around and starting a new career, moving, going off on my own and trying to turn a big core of my life. Well, new career is working out fantastic. I'm making tons of money. And while it's not necessarily easy, I'm getting through it. I'm doing it, you know? Yeah, definitely. I never had real luck with relationships and came out here and met my wife and she's fantastic. And we've been married a year and a half now. Never saw that coming, but everything's kind of good. That's that's great. I mean, I, I've heard stories of people going through similar accidents like you have, and it's kind of like there's a direction that you can go into. You can uh, let that bring that experience bring you down or you can use it to help yourself grow. And I think through what you've just said, but also taking taking your experience and turning it into something fun and something that you could bond over people with is uh, an amazing thing that you've done. And, and it just shows how much, like it just allows you to just grow so much more as a person. Like you can take on so many more things if you are able to yeah. overcome that accident. That's the absolute truth of it. I never knew how much, you know, I was capable of until I went through that. It's kind of a crucible, if you will, to see, you know, take the, the pressure from this and form me into something new that's maybe more useful. So you shared your story anonymously online, um, but in your personal life, have you shared that story beyond the 10 people that you had that experience with? Well, of course, my, my wife knows, and she found out about that on our first date. In fact, in the first... 30 minutes because she is a very good dater. So she came into this date with all her questions of that seem innocuous, but there's more meaning behind them. And so one of the questions was, uh, what's your, the weirdest food you ever eat? And so, and, and previous people had told her, uh, things like, you know, cooked onions, which is like, who hasn't had cooked onions? And that's the weirdest thing you had. This is like obviously a boring person that is not worth dating. Maybe <laughs> not, for, not for her. Maybe for somebody else, but not for her. Yeah. And so I said, well, what I told her was, I'm gonna, I don't know you well enough yet to give you the real answer. But the second weirdest thing about reading was pig ears when I went to San Francisco. This fantastic little Zhang uh, Long Bao place is amazing. And she says, no, 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 no. That's not how we do this. You're going to tell me the real thing. And so me, with my new ideas on being open about myself and just put myself out there, I said, okay. Well, when I had my accident, afterwards, me and some of my friends got together and we ate some of my leg. <laughs> and she kind of just sat there and looked at me and it's like, okay. Well, I don't think I know if I necessarily believe you. That's a pretty damn good answer. And <laughs> we kept going on the date. That was like a six hour date. And it was awesome. That's great. Yeah, that that's you definitely have uh, the, the best story in terms of bizarre foods eaten, for sure. Um, <laughs> so from 
from all of the media attention that you've gotten um, from this story, what is the mo- some of the most memorable that you've had? You know, the bicycle really started it all off, and that was a lot of fun. I think probably the best one I did was the uh, podcast uh, Risk, where, you know, I've done several podcasts, and just people like you, you're giving me a call. We talk over Skype or over some other format, and I enjoy the hell out of it. But Risk, his is very curated, and they have writers helping you develop this story to go and maybe not they're not the most recognizable direction it would normally go and then they have you do it in front of a studio audience well not a studio audience they tape in bars and open spaces where people are getting up and speaking these stories so you i had about 200 people packed in this little auditorium uh, everybody downing a whole bunch of drinks, me downing quite a few drinks because <laughs> I'm not a public speaker. You know, groups of 10, 15, I'll talk all day long. Getting up in front of that many people kind of freaked me out. And so I get up there and I just started going. And I had that we had written out this whole plan about how to go through and how to tell this story and what they were looking for. And I immediately derailed it and kind of just I, I, I got I hit all the points but it was not what we had edited but um, I kind of just went with it and felt out the crowd and it went off really really well that's awesome and it was a hell of an experience to get out there and tell this you know <laughs> taboo uh, transformation story and have a bunch of people applaud me and people come up and give me hugs afterwards. It's bizarre, man. I can't tell you. <laughs> I mean, that's awesome. I mean, talk about uh, being open and facing your fears. That's that's cool. It was terrifying, but it was a fantastic experience. Well, I think the last thing that I have for you is, um, do you have any final thoughts or anything that you'd like to add before we come to an end? I think the biggest thing I could say is what I've taken away from all of this is always be kind to people. And if you have friends, nurture them. If you find people are, if you find people that are good in your life, do what you have to do to keep them in your life. Nurture them and grow those friendships because real friends are few and far between. And it's difficult to build those relationships. It takes time and quite honestly, a lot of effort. And so if you find people worth it, put that effort in to keep them close. Thanks, man. I think that's some really good advice for everybody to hear. Thanks for our conversation. I really enjoyed it. And I hope you have a good rest of the day. Absolutely, man. Have yourself (laughs) a good evening. You too. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Uneasy Terrain Explorers Club. If you're interested in checking out my other work, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, Cinema's Underbelly, where I analyze and review obscure, obscene, and controversial cinema, as well as check out my label, Putrid Productions. Until next time, this is the Uneasy Terrain Explorers Club. <laughs>